welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, we've made it. Football is nearly here. We're going to preview the 49ers 2021 season this episode, and with me this week, here to tell you why Louisville is the dessert town America needs, it's David Newman. Excuse me, it's uh, Louisville? Oh, Louisville. 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 I can't. Louisville. Louisville. There's like a there's there's a fattening of the tongue that you're supposed to do in the middle of that word yep. that I, I I don't know that I'm capable of. Uh, but you know what I am capable of is eating this thing that in true better rivals fashion I, I cannot pronounce. Uh, uh, majeska, majeska. All I'm saying is on these tours we need to spend less time telling the same exact stories over and over and over again about you know oh what is bourbon and what is it blah blah blah, blah. what's bottle and bond. And more time talking about the pioneers who decided that a bourbon-infused chocolate and caramel-covered marshmallow was a perfect pairing to whiskey. You're going to need to keep talking because I'm currently chewing on one, and it's not great for radio. (laughs) Uh, I would probably be doing the same, but I already ate all of mine. My favorite part is that you brought back, what, two bags? And you were like, Uh, I'm... I purchased two bags. I brought back one bag. (laughs) But okay. the original plan, but the original plan was even better because you said, I'm buying two bags. I'm only telling my wife about one. <laughs> right. Which is, is the truth. I just ate one of them while we were still there and I brought one back and shared it. Oh man. They're, they're these are delicious. We got the, the specifically the ones at old Forester. Yeah. Are an absolute revelation. I am going to finish one over the course of the show. David, if I point at you, it's cause I'm chewing. Uh, so this week we've got a good show for you. We're going to have our season preview. We're going to do just b- three big things that we're thinking about, talk about the environment for the team this season. A couple things we think that, that we're going to be watching out for big storylines. We're going to switch to the fun bits. We're going to talk about superlatives. We're going to do our annual over unders and then give you predictions about where we think the team will finish. A couple of housekeeping items before we jump right in. One is the in-season schedule is changing this season. We're going to try and do a Sunday recap and a Thursday deep dive. So you're going to get two episodes this week in addition to a Patreon video for those of you who are on the Patreon and are able to see some of the visual stuff that we're putting together. It's going to be a lot of stuff. Three touch points this week. Uh, Me touching you, you being touched. It's going to be wonderful. I mean, look, with players like we thought we had the the, uh, Dix-Johnson rule. But it turns out we've got D. Virgin Johnson rule. And this, I could not have asked for anything better. It's going to be a fun season, if nothing else. Just because, Do you not know about D. Virgin? I No, I don't think I've heard of this before. David, you've not heard of D. Virgin? <laughs> Sorry, guys. You know, despite the evidence, having a kid and everything, it's, you know, a little hazy here. Like my... Um, so D Virgin is, as Matt Barrows so elegantly pointed out, on the roster for the 49ers because he has some of the most experience in the cornerback room. His name would say otherwise. His name is D Virgin. Like D-E-E Virgin. Or it could be oh, okay. I didn't I, I was thinking more of a spelling like Divergin. No, 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 no. His first name D, last name Virgin. It's great. I can't make this stuff up. It's wonderful. Wow. The football wow. gods, this is, how, this is how the football gods are beginning to say this is going to be a great year for you, Oscar, because they <laughs> lay it out just like this and say it's going to be a good season. In addition to giving us someone like D-Virgin, they're going to give us uh, weird 17-game stats, but we'll talk about those in a minute. Let's, let's start with the, 21, the 2021 season, and let's talk about the environment because there are some things that the team kind of quasi-controls in terms of their schedule, but big swaths of it, they don't. Their division... Generally, teams don't control uh, the opposing division that they play. Generally, the team doesn't control that rotates every four years. The thing they do control is kind of where they finish or place in the uh, their division. And, and largely, these things are pretty much baked. But a team's schedule is such a big component and has a big part of whether or not the team succeeds that we generally like to start there and see how the team's schedule really shook out. So, David, where are the Niners this year, especially considering the gauntlet of a season they've had seemingly the last two years? Right. I mean, I think it's important to look at where they were last year. And and when you look at, uh, I think, you know, most metrics, uh, the one that I happened to pull for for this was looking at pro football references. They have their strength of schedule metric. 
Um, and, and that that's based on like their simple rating system. And they were tied for the fourth toughest schedule last season based on that. Um, and things are, are certainly, I think, looking up in 2021, right? Um, even if you just use pure 2020 win totals, um, which, you know, we certainly don't advocate that you do and, and, uh, is historically not a very good measure of where things will, uh, end up in 2021, but even that, right, is is I think as a starting point uh, is is looking much better. You look at them more kind of middle of the pack, tied for nineteenth most difficult based on on those winning percentages last year. Um, but if you get into I think more advanced measures and and look at specifically things kind of based around the betting markets, um, that looks I think very good. Um, PFF and and their projected strength of schedule metric, the 49ers right now are set up to have the easiest schedule in the NFL this season. So. Uh, again, the specific spots on the projection aren't really terribly important, if, but it, but if at the end of the year we're looking at them moving from one of the toughest schedules in the NFL to one of the easiest schedules in the NFL, right? Somewhere down there in the in that bottom quarter, um, that's going to be a huge swing for them, and and the amount of wins that they're going to be able to generate um, by doing basically nothing, right? Things purely out of their control. Yeah, I mean, this is being able to go against teams like the Bengals, like the Jaguars, like the Falcons, like the Lions like the in te- week one, like the Lions and the Texans and the Eagles. I mean, these are either inexperienced quarterbacks, rookie quarterbacks or quarterbacks that are just flat out not very good or coming back from injury um, or, you know, quarterbacks that, you know, generally are, are favorable. And then you get even teams like the Colts, who, the, who knows what Carson Wentz is going to be. When you get to that week seven game and they've got Justin Fields, this is a schedule. If, if, if this is a quarterback driven league that has favorable quarterback matchups for the 49ers all the way through the schedule in their Super Bowl year, they had that four week gauntlet, which was basically like the playoffs before the playoffs. And I mean, it was probably one of the hardest spates of schedules that I can remember the 49ers having. And this year, they don't have anything quite like that. The closest thing is going to be in week three, four, and five. And that's even just because the Cardinals give them fits. But two of those three games are at home. They've got the the Packers at home, and they've got Seattle at home as well. So it's the division, really, that's going to be the toughest for the Niners. But outside of the division, things are really lining up for them. And so when you think about the environment that they're starting in, things they don't even control, it's already looking like it's going the 49ers way. Yeah, a- absolutely. I mean, I think the the fact that they don't have any major stretches where things look especially difficult. And then I think even when you look at, uh, you know, kind of some of the games, when you look at where, they, when they go on the road, right? Like in, in some of the matchups that they have there are thankfully some of their easier matchups, right? You go on the road, uh, to Detroit, to Philadelphia, to Jacksonville, um, you know, Cincinnati in there, which, you know, who knows what, what they'll be like, but yeah, I, I think you have, um, some easier tests outside of your division, when you leave home, right? Which is, I think, always very helpful. Your timing is impeccable. I just finished chewing. This is great. I, so, I aim to please. <laughs> These candies are unreal. They're so they're so good. They're I'm so, very they're jealous right now. Yeah, although you're, um, you're, you also had an, an ice cream sandwich that you really liked at Heaven Hill, which I, Heaven Hill I love because it has one of my favorite bourbons, the McKenna 10-year Bottled and Bond. And, and you heard about Bottled and Bond six times. Um, and, and so they had an ice cream sandwich that you really liked too, which I thought was bourbon ice cream. Uh, yeah, it was incredible. One of my favorite things on the entire trip. (laughs) So let's get to the regression candidates. These are things that are going to kind of come back to earth, whether it be negative things that are bouncing back positive or positive things that are kind of coming back negative. And the first place you've got to start is with the team's health. The team's health has not been good the last couple of years. And we generally look at Football Outsiders adjusted games loss metric because this is a really good way of not just looking at random games that are lost because not all lost games are created equal. If Jimmy Garoppolo misses a game in 2020, that is fundamentally different than if CJ Beathard misses a game, even at the same position, or if you're, uh, if Sean Coleman misses a game. It's not quite the same when your key starters are missing games than when reserves or people that you weren't expecting to have an impact are missing games. And on average, this, this stat gives you about 64 adjusted games lost is, is the average, or at least that was the average in 2019. In 2020, 
the Niners had 166 games lost. That was worst in the league. 166 with COVID, 161 without. The highest that the the Football Outsiders metric has ever charted in their era that they've been doing it is 171.6 games, and that was the 2016 Bears. Even in the 2019 season, when they went to the Super Bowl, they were 27th in the league, and they were 26th in 2018. And so at this point, you've got to think like, if you don't take injuries as like a single year event, and maybe it's like, okay, this two, three year run of having shitty injuries at this point, maybe you get to the upswing. Maybe you get to the point where you don't lose your star pass rusher. Um, I don't think the Niners are going to be one of the healthiest teams in the league. But at this point, like something has got to give and it can't be another bone. <laughs> I mean, it, it could be. Yeah, I mean, we should really have framed it as like things that that history tells us are likely to come back to earth. But I mean, we've we've had this section uh, about injuries every season, you know, in, in the season preview episode, and it hasn't exactly worked out well. Right. So uh, I, I think we we all understand that there certainly is no uh guarantees here when it comes to this but yeah at some point you feel like even just by sheer luck right in chance they they have to find a way to be healthier over the course of a season um and i think yeah even if that's uh you know just at more of the key positions right just staying healthy at quarterback um staying healthy in the secondary staying healthy with your pass rushers there along the offensive line like if if they can just get a few of those key positions right they're not gonna it's it's unlikely to to get all of them um where you're 100 percent healthy there over the course of the season but if you can pick a few of those key spots and and manage to get a little luck on your side and stay healthy Again, that that's just so huge because it's it's very dip- difficult to separate what they did in 2020 without you know talking about the injuries. I think center, quarterback, tackle were ones that were problematic in years past, especially on offense. You've got an insurance policy and a quarterback of the future in Trey Lance, uh, who hopefully has already had his injury of the year. You've got your center, Alex Mack who's consistently played over a thousand snaps and just generally doesn't miss games. Maybe he's old. Maybe his body starts to break down, but historically he's not someone who's missed a ton of games. You've got Trent Williams, who is back healthy. He's playing games. You've got McGlinchey. You've got Bosa back. Bosa seems to be fitter. The key positions seem to either be insulated or like that person is back and they're young and they're still able to stay healthy at this point and have maybe gotten past their freak injuries. So Definitely something to keep an eye on, but hopefully something that ends up turning the 49ers away. The other interesting thing, though, is turnover margin, because last year they were tied for second worst turnover margin, negative 11 net turnovers last year. That's something they did very well their Super Bowl year. They were near the top of the league. I think it was like 24, 26 or so uh, net in net turnovers. And so at this point, this is something that generally is going to swing back the other way, if nothing else, because the quarterback is going to be better because it's not CJ Beathard and it's not Nick Mullins. Right. Yeah, I, I think really the and I'll kind of just tie in the last point that we're going to make here, too. And when you look at their offensive performance. Right. So um, touching on that really quickly, you look at EPA per play. They went down from seventh. Right. Still very good in, in 2019, all the way down to 20th last season. I think both of these things uh, are, are really largely tied to what was going on at quarterback. Right. And, and the play of the quarterback that they've uh, had on the field and, and obviously the injuries that they dealt with at that position um, was just was tough, right? They were not able to be as efficient offensively. They were turning the ball over more. I think defensively, right, the injuries there certainly impact their ability to create turnovers and, and get additional opportunities for their offense. So, yeah, I, I think all of these things kind of go hand in hand, right? And, and if suddenly you can be healthier at these key positions, you have your better players, these impact players on the field, you know, your offense is going to be able to perform at the level you expect. You're you're going to be better at taking care of the football there. And then your playmakers on defense are hopefully going to generate a little bit more turnovers, right? So even if you, you don't need to necessarily be great. So just kind of, uh, you know, research department here coming in on that Super Bowl season, they were only plus four in turnover margin. So oh, they were, really? Yeah. A little over middle of the pack there. And, and yeah, you don't have to, I think, be great. Obviously it helps. To, to have a very, very good turnover margin. Um, you know, obviously no team is going to complain about that, but if they can just move from the bottom of the pack to somewhere around that break even point, right in, in the middle of the league there, um, 
that's huge, right? If suddenly that's, uh, you know, even if they're just right at zero, right? Uh, same number of turnovers is uh, lost as the ones that they create. That's a plus 11 in their favor, right? That's suddenly 11 more possessions that they have that they can work with over the course of the season. And if now you get those other things that are falling into place, um, again, like that, all of the, it, when you just purely look at kind of the numbers and, and the major regression points, I think all of those areas look to be pointing towards some favorable regression for the 49ers this year. Man, this chocolate must be doing something in my brain. Uh, clearly, I've confused uh, the Super Bowl year in 2019 with the 2011 season. Because I even looked at 2012, and I think the, the 2012 Super Bowl year, they were only plus nine. I think it yeah, was that 2011. 2011. When, they, when they did the, the first year with Harbaugh, they made a huge, huge flip. Because that was a big reason. Every you know the, the 2012 season, everybody was talking about how they were going to regress back right, and, and go uh, back down to kind of the middle of the pack there. And that was a big reason why. I'm really happy the research department isn't worried about eating chocolate and is instead focused on the show. Uh, so if if that's the environment that the team is in and the environment is favorable for a successful season for the 49ers, or at minimum, you know, kind of a, a winning season, we'll say, then now you get to what the the coaching staff is trying to do and what the personnel department is trying to do with this team specifically. And it seems like what they're trying to do is really be able to dictate what to do on offense and what they want to do on offense. And they want to do that with their run game. And so we thought we talk that a lot of people talk about bully ball, getting big wide receivers. You think of the, uh, I think I was listening to the Mayoko podcast, uh, while I was running, I was hate running, um, a couple days ago. And, and they, they said that the, um, the average height of the 49ers wide receivers has increased five inches over the last couple of years. And I mean, I feel like they didn't have to do my man Trent Taylor like that. The dude already stands up in pictures on his tippy toes. He doesn't need <laughs> yeah, this you, kind and of you slander. get Trent Taylor off there and that's bumping that average up like, you know, I don't know, two inches on its own, right? Just At that least. one move. With or without the hard hat. I'm not sure. We're gonna go ahead and grant him the extra couple inches from the hard hat. But uh, I feel like that that still is, you, you think of Jalen Hurd, you think of Trent Sherfield, you think of Mohamed Sanu, you think of Juwan Jennings. These are all bigger bodied guys. The Niners want to build a bully. Why do they want to build a bully? They want to build a bully because that's what's going to allow them to come out in one formation, run the ball, and depending on what the defense does, they're going to be able to do whatever the hell they want. They're going to be able to dictate what they're going to do on offense. If you come in with kind of base down run personnel, then they're going to pass the ball. If you come in and nickel or dime, they're going to run the ball. So it really is kind of simple. They're going to try to run against light boxes. If you come in light, they're going to go heavy. And if you go heavy, then they'll go light. So how have the 49ers done against light boxes? And how have they done passing against heavy boxes? If that is indeed going to be the strategy that Shanahan's trying to build. Yeah, so I think with on on the run side of it, there's a few interesting points there, right? Like one, in terms of what they've done against light boxes, it, it is quite surprisingly not very good, and and it's not a small sample either. I mean, they had uh, a fairly even split when you look at the the number of attempts against a light box, which we're going to define, you know, light heavy box here is is seven defenders or fewer in the box is going to be light, eight plus is going to be heavy. It's not perfect. Ideally, you would like to be able to also factor in, you know, the offensive personnel there because, you know, if if a team is in a three wide receiver set, they've got 11 personnel in the field um, and, and just the one back in the backfield, right? Like a, a seven man box is going to be heavy. That's going to be more than the six blockers that you have available at that point to, to block in the run game. So um, it, it's not going to be a hundred percent perfect, but it should give us a pretty good idea. And, and when you have that split, right, the light boxes versus the heavy from a, a rushing standpoint, they had a fairly even number of attempts. They had 215 attempts uh, against light boxes. They had 233 attempts against heavy boxes, um, but they were significantly worse against the light boxes. 31st in rushing EPA when teams, again, had seven or fewer defenders in the box. 
And, and I think it's hard to kind of pin that on any specific element there, like whether that be the run blocking or the ball carriers. There wasn't like neither of those elements were were especially worse than the other one. Um, but it, on the flip side of that, they were actually really good relatively to the, the rest of the league running against heavy boxes. They had the fourth highest EPA per play against those heavy boxes because we know they're going to be spending a lot of time, you know, with either two backs, two tight ends, or, or both on the field, and that's going to lend itself uh, to a good number of heavy boxes. And, and so they weren't necessarily letting that deter them from running the ball, uh, and, and they did overall very well. I mean, again, only that that's not generally a good thing to do, so only two teams even had positive EPA in those situations anywhere, the, so the 49ers were not one of them. So it was still kind of a net loss for them offensively, but again, relative to the rest of the league, they, they did well in those situations. But yeah, I, I think it's interesting considering everything we know about their run game, how good Shanahan is at, at scheming that stuff up, that they seem to have trouble when they, they were faced with those lighter boxes last season. Yeah, so running against light boxes, I mean, if you're going to actually try to get people out of the box and then run on them, it doesn't seem like that's what the Niners are really going to try and do. It sounds like they're going to try to almost invite you in and still run it down your throat and that's the kind of bully that maybe the Niners are going to try to be successful at and that's where having something or someone like Trey Lance is going to be really helpful you mentioned that two teams had a positive EPA in those in those situations I'm going to venture to guess that the Ravens were one of them they were not surprised oh the Ravens were just a little bit so it was the Titans and the Vikings were the two teams uh, that just snuck into the positive on, on the- both off the Shanahan tree. But I was yep. really hoping that was going to be a, a, a Ravens thing right there and that you were going to have some Trey Lance business there. But I mean, even I think if anything, it's probably going to make their running against heavier boxes be that big of a deal, because if you can run against the heavy box, because now you've got 11 on 11, that's one thing. But the other part where this is important is if you can pass against a heavy box, if you can actually draw more defenders in, you get more one-on-one coverage. You get fewer pass defenders. And now you're going to pass uh, against heavy boxes. And if the Niners can do that successfully, that might be an avenue to that might be an avenue to success. So, David, how did the Niners do passing against heavy boxes? Uh, so, I, I, overall, I think pretty good. And, and I don't think that's, you know, terribly surprising, right? So, um, you know, they had a good number of, of pass attempts for all the reasons we just mentioned, uh, you know, that they're going to be facing a lot of defenders in the box for. Um, and, and so you got 133 dropbacks against those heavy boxes, which was tied for the fourth most last year. And they were eighth in in terms of EPA per play. And even higher than that, they were third in the percentage of plays uh, that they were able to generate a positive EPA on. So basically the difference there, EPA per play is going to be more of like a pure explosiveness metric, right? So if you get the really, really big plays, that's going to be a big EPA and it's going to help drive that up. But you don't need to get uh, necessarily the huge, huge chunk yardage to just still generate a positive play. And so just if you think of it as, as percentage of plays that ended in a successful outcome, they were third right in in that metric so very good um but i think that when you look at a kind of the individual components to that right in in this area there is one clear area uh surprise surprise that that kind of is the deficiency here right so you look at it kind of just their team pff grade in these areas fourth best in receiving sixth best in pass block but all the way down 21st in in passer right so that quarterback there uh, no surprise with with Jimmy missing most of that, and even honestly, like when Jimmy was on the field, sometimes uh, he wasn't able to to execute a lot of this stuff. So uh, that was was really the limiting factor when they did have one. But this is what they're often like. Shanahan is better than this at, at basically anyone in the NFL, right? It, it generating these chunk plays off of play action, getting guys open, and and that's what they're going to do. They're going to bring guys in the box, draw them up, make you expect the run because they do run a, a large percentage of their plays and then they're going to try to attack you know especially in that intermediate area in the middle of the field where your linebackers no longer are because they're coming up to play the run and and it leads to a lot of easy you know good gains for your offense so it sounds like if the Niners continue to do if they continue to execute on what they're building their team for which is drawing people in against the run and even adding more of the threat of the run with Trey Lance 
but then continuing to find success passing against heavy boxes, they'll continue their offensive prowess. But if they can improve their ability to run against light boxes, when they actually see fewer people in the box, if they can execute and pop those runs off at just a little bit higher rate than they have in the past, then that could also see their offense go to the heights that I think a lot of people expect this offense to be, especially if people stay healthy. If Shanahan basically continues to just be himself and squeeze a bit more out of running against some lighter boxes, all of a sudden you've got a pretty lethal offense. And that's the area that actually when you look at the Ravens run game, that they really did make people pay, right? So they were good against the heavy boxes, right? I think they were they were just a couple spots below the 49ers there, so still in the top quarter of the league. But they were the best against light boxes. And so if you did try to back up and, and you take a safety out of the box against Lamar in that run game, top in EPA per play, they were averaging nearly six yards per attempt as a team when you do that. So that's almost like passing the ball. Right. That's I mean, you're you're <laughs> definitely lessening that gap. Right. And, and you're bringing those things a little bit closer and you're making your your offense more efficient. And, you know, it was about half and half, too, in terms of what they had before and after contact. So they were getting nearly three yards before contact. And a lot of that is going to come from the quarterback run game. So, yeah, I think Lance is going to help their run game in in all areas if he gets to a point where he's out there all the time. Because, yeah, not only is he going to be able to better take advantage of those light boxes, I think, um, but now even against the heavy stuff, suddenly, like, the, the defense is used to having eight in there. That means we've got a plus one advantage. Well, now, if you start doing some of the read stuff, like, you're basically eliminating one of those guys if you make the correct read on that play, right? And, and so now you're kind of evening those numbers back up, and, and you're tilting that advantage back toward the offense. So he should, in theory you know, help make them even more efficient uh, in, in that regard as well. So on offense, you've got a, a successful or really a positive environment for the team in general. And now a team that has added a couple of extra tools that can help them succeed. And if they follow a little bit of the Ravens model, they'll be able to squeeze even more efficiency out of their offense. But now we turn our attention to the defense. And this is where you get to the storyline uh, over the offseason, really about the defense's aggression. And, and I'm adding perhaps maybe whether or not they'll, they'll retain their multiplicity on defense. And, and that's something that I'll certainly be watching for because I think the storyline has been aggression, but I'm curious as to whether or not the, the defense is going to keep its multiplicity. When you look at just the blitzing and the aggression, first off, the Niners under solid, they, they really blitzed when they needed to. They weren't a, you know, kind of like the, the, the Ravens defense or some other defenses that you think they're just going to blitz all the time, blitz super heavy. And like Greg Williams comes to mind. And, and he really was like, okay, 2019, I don't need to blitz. I'm going to rush four. And they had one of the lowest blitz rates, blitz rates in the leagues. In the league. In 2020, they really played coy on base downs, on first and second down. They didn't really blitz a hell of a lot. But then once it got to third down, they had one of the highest blitz rates in football on third down. And that's because he knew he wasn't going to win consistently with Kerry Hyder, despite the number of sacks that he had. This is why he was signing Ziggy Ansah. He was going to try to manufacture pressure, and he did. And he did so successfully with successful blitzes. And, and this year, I'm curious if they will continue the trend of trying to be opportunistic with their blitzes, or if they're going to use Fred Warner more as a blitzer, or maybe they'll use Dre Greenlaw as a blitzer, or maybe Talano Hufanga as a blitzer, who seemed to do that fairly well in, in the preseason, and then be able to just kind of put someone like Fred Warner in coverage where he succeeds. Are we going to see more varied blitz packages at different downs, or are we going to see that consistent just kind of third down? We know we need to get a plus play, so let's do it. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see where D'Amico Ryan's uh, or, or where D'Amico Ryan's falls on either side of that fence. Yeah, I, I mean, I think in terms of all of these tendencies defensively is going to be one of the more interesting things to watch this season because I, I think from a personnel standpoint, they really have built their defense as uh, you would expect a team that wants to do the rush for play coverage, like play more conservatively from a coverage standpoint, because you've put all of your resources on your defensive line, right? All of your best players essentially are up front there and, and you have these marquee pass rushers that again, if healthy are, are going to, you're going to want to kind of like let them do their thing. Right. So I think that was kind of the main difference last year. All those guys got hurt and suddenly they needed to, 
to figure out a way to do some different things in order to generate some pressure. And, and that made a lot of sense for them last year. But if, if suddenly we're, we have both on the field, you know, Armstead's out there. D Ford is, is out there. Um, I, I, I think like, like they want to, with the way that they built the defense, allow those guys to just go do their thing, rush four, and then drop everybody back in coverage. Because, yeah, I don't think, I mean, I, one of the more concerning things about this team is is the lack of depth in the secondary, right? And just kind of the general state of that. I mean, sure, if, if their top guys all stay healthy for 16 or I guess now 17 games, um, that's great. But we know that that's unlikely to happen. And I think depth is a big concern there. And so I think they're going to want to you know, give those guys as much support as they can. And as long as the defensive line is healthy, that would seem to lend itself to more just, you know, drop back, play more conservatively with the coverage and and not be aggressive. But we've also talked on the other side of that, right, about some of the changes in coaching staff and things that may point to wanting to be more aggressive there. So I think, yeah, how all of that plays out is is going to be very interesting. I think they might try to protect their corners by trying to get to the quarterback faster. And, and if they believe that pressure is how you do that, if they, if they, and I do think that they are of the philosophy that pressure is a little bit more important than coverage. Sure. And, and so I think if that's the case, then they might lean towards trying to get towards the quarterback faster and protecting their corners that way. I don't know that that will be a successful strategy. Having, yeah, I, don't, I don't love that um, necessarily, yeah, well, uh, but, I, but I think it makes sense. Yeah, I think that, yeah, that I think it makes thought. sense from the 49ers perspective. Yeah. I think from my perspective, it's like here's here is your known kind of weakness relative to your strength. And you're going to ask them to be better longer um, if you fail. And, and, and it's always and, and a good quarterback will make you pay before a pass rush will get there. So it may work against the Jared Goffs of the world. It may work against the Carson Wentz's of the world. But when you're playing the teams you need to beat when games matter, the Aaron Rodgers of the world, the Russell Wilsons of the world, then, yeah, you're going to be singling up uh, maybe Josh Norman. And Josh Norman, recent signing for the 49ers, not someone who's good in one-on-one coverage and man coverage. It's not really his strength. And and now you're going to ask him to to play coverage against, like, DK Metcalf. Um, I don't know that that's going to go well. For Josh Norman, <laughs> just I just don't I don't know that that's going to go well for mostly anyone really. I mean, like Emmanuel Mosley is probably the only other corner who's really going to be big enough to hold up uh, against someone like DK Metcalf. I mean that that's going to be rough. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how Ryan's plays it this year, especially now that that James Betcher is fully coaching the linebackers because Johnny Holland is taking a leave from the team because he's got some health issues he's working through. So now James Betcher is actually coaching the linebackers day to day. And that'll be another interesting wrinkle as well, since he's known for his pressure packages. Yeah, I, I mean, and it would make sense. Like, I, I feel like the ideal balance, right, is is kind of picking and choosing your spots based on the opponent, right? I, I think, yeah, against some of those lesser quarterbacks, like, go after him a little bit, right? Guys that you know are going to be less likely to, to be able to handle that kind of stuff or are going to panic more. You might be able to, you know, getting back to the kind of the top of the the episode, generate some more turnovers, right? By by kind of going after those guys and rushing some decisions. But yeah, I I think that's absolutely a mistake against Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson and, and guys like that, right? Because those corners, you know, is as good as your pressure can be, and you can get you know, somebody unblocked and in his face and, and all of that stuff. But if, if your corners are getting beat off the line, right? Like if we're going to ask one of these corners to, to match up with Devonte Adams uh, or something like that, like, like that's probably not going to go well. And he doesn't need a lot of time to just get a step of separation and have Rogers put it on him. Right. So yeah. You, you, and you obviously, and, and it goes without saying like, you're going to mix this stuff up over the course of the game, right? It's never going to be, I think, fully one direction or the other. But I, I think, yeah, you would like to see them lean uh, one direction or the other based on kind of who that quarterback is and, and who they're facing that week. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I'm going to see whether or not D'Amico Ryans continues to drop defensive linemen into coverage. I'm looking for <laughs> DJ Jones to get an interception. I think we're, we may have to remove that rule from the drinking game this year until further notice like until D'Amico Ryans proves that he is going to be another branch on the tree of (laughs) playing defensive tackles in in short hook zones I think we might have to make some room for some other rules but we'll see we make a make a halftime call against the Lions you know we'll see what the first half looks like here
Those are the things that we'll be watching this season. But now let's get to some of the fun stuff, some superlatives, some questions that we have for the season, some over-unders that we've got that we think uh, are really some predictions that we'll have uh, for the season on the whole. And we'll start with a couple of names. Jason Verrett, Kerry Hyder, Lakin Tomlinson, all players that the Niners have rehabilitated and either gotten a contract somewhere else or gotten a contract with the 49ers in the case of Jason Verrett and Lakin Tomlinson. So, David, who will be the 49ers successful rehabilitation project in 2021? And I think if you if you listen to last week, I think you have a pretty good idea of of where our head is at here. And I think Arden Key is a great option for this. I mean, it's I, the only thing I, I guess you could maybe say is like, can you rehabilitate a career that hasn't really existed in the NFL? Like he's, he, he hasn't really been good in the NFL yet. Right. It, it's more of a, a a player that looked really good at times in college and looked like he had the tools uh, to, to be a very good pass rusher and an edge player at the NFL level, but has not been able to put it together. But I, I, I think, yeah, like he's the one when you look at just like, a talented player who hasn't been able to really put it together uh, during his, his last few seasons here, like that has a chance to, to maybe succeed. I mean, he's the guy that, that certainly sticks out for me. Yeah. He's the guy who sticks out for me as well. The, the other one, the other Raider on this list would be Mo Hurst, but he's injured. So I think it's going to be tough for him to really make a splash. Um, yeah. For me, it, the rehabilitation is really in getting that player more money than he would have gotten were it not for his stint on the 49ers. Yep. I mean, the, the defensive line really has been the place for this. Um, I, I think Day is uh, another example who went to the Colts uh, and got some money there. Um, he came from Jacksonville. I think you've got, uh, you know, basically the Chris Kasurik factory of players that are going to get better contracts just because they've come to the, the 49ers. But yeah, I mean, I, I can't think of another player who's not already been a little rehabilitated Jason Verrett would be another one here um that other than Arden Key and, and I think that in the preseason he's looked better than even their free agent signing Samson Ebukam and so I think he probably is is the leader in the clubhouse here for the rehabil- the rehabilitation project in in 2021 I can't really think of anyone else that is going to need to go get more money yeah, everyone I mean- else is kind of proven yeah, I think offensively, and I think on a lot of spots, right, they're they're retaining guys that have been here for a bit. I mean, you look at, at who is expected to be key players offensively. It's really just kind of the same cast of characters there. Uh, the only major new addition, of course, is is really Trey Lance, and, and that's not going to be a rehabilitation project, right? Um, and then defensively, I think, yeah, same thing, kind of secondary if everybody stays healthy at least to start you're looking at at the kind of the same group um that we've been dealing with for for a little bit here you know um at linebacker yeah there's just there's not a ton of candidates and so i think yeah key definitely sticks out as a guy that has an opportunity to do that yeah jordan matthews would be the only one who would be a true rehabilitation project because he's switching positions and he is on the practice squad so we'll see we'll see how that goes but who is going to be the 2021 breakout story I think we've talked a little bit. There's some names I've got on here, but the one that came to my mind first was Brandon Ayuk. I mean, he is, especially because he's one of the fantasy-relevant players for the 49ers, he has been the the player that we talked about with Kevin Cole, I think, a few weeks ago, that he may be the breakout star for the 49ers on offense this year because everyone else has already had kind of like their breakout. I mean, George Kittle, Nick Bosa... Um, Jimmy Garoppolo for those five games back in 2017. Um, you know, they've already kind of broken out. And so Ayuk, he's been getting a lot of buzz. Matt Harmon, who does the reception perception uh, work where he kind of charts every route and the win weight, the I, wow, that is a win the weight. weight, the win weight, the win <laughs> rate on these routes. He's been doing great work for a long time. He said that he would put Ayuk on the same level as uh, Stefan Diggs. Calvin Ridley and Terry McLaurin in terms of them being a smaller wide receiver with elite separation based on his charting. He had him basically above average in separation rate on all routes except for one. And he had him in the 88th percentile and beating man coverage. And so that's one dude's charting. I know the research department is going to get right on it and take a look at what PFF is doing. But his his real question is whether or not he can stay healthy. And if he can, then he is effectively 
a top option on an offense that we just talked about for 20 some odd minutes that has a good environment to succeed and a quarterback that is healthy enough to succeed and an offensive play caller that's going to squeeze every bit of real juice by dictating what it is that they're going to do against defenses. Uh, so why wouldn't Brandon Ayuk be a breakout story in 2021? I mean, I, th- I think the the only major reason um, beyond him just taking an unexpected step backwards, right, as, as a player uh, is going to be the volume. Um, because I think, you know, uh, of course, a lot of what we've talked about around the offense and, and things that are going to be changing and, and potentially better uh, this season are focused around the run game, right? And we know that there, even if even if Jimmy were to stay as the starting quarterback for the entire season, we, we know that the run game is going to be a significant part of what they're trying to do offensively, right? It's going to be a, a heavier portion of their offense than just about any other team in the league, right? There's only uh, a, a, a few other teams that are even going to be in that ballpark. So we, it, it's going to be there, and that just doesn't leave... Uh, a lot of targets I mean he still had I guess like last season what like 90 90 something low 90s in targets I think um and and so yeah I mean maybe the opportunity is going to be there he also had I think a a good number of those games where he was really the only viable target yeah that's what I was gonna say is he he had a, a couple of weeks there maybe four or five weeks where it was just him yeah and one of Kittle or Debo but never both at the same time and a couple of games where it was just him where both Debo and Kittle were also out and Raheem Mostert was out and it was just basically a parade of, of wide receivers and so yeah he had he basically stacked up four or five weeks where he was an elite wide receiver like a top 10 top five wide receiver in those weeks and then everywhere and every other week it was just kind of like regular back to earth yeah and and I think uh I I don't know that Debo cuts into what his target share is going to be a ton um, because I, I just think that that Ayuk can do more. I, I, I think he can do more stuff down the field and he's going to be the guy uh, that that is going to be like we talked about before, like really is the best option that they have as far as vertical routes and, and stuff further down the field. So if Lance does get in there and that becomes a bigger part of the offense, like he's going to be the guy who benefits most from that. Um, and, and I think even a lot of the intermediate stuff, like he's going to be a better option there. I mean, they really do kind of focus Debo getting the ball around the line of scrimmage, right? He's going to get the, the jet pop passes there. He's going to get screens. He's going to get things that are, that are, you know, closer to the line of scrimmage essentially to get the ball in his hands as quickly as possible and, and basically let him be a running back. And, and I can obviously do, uh, some of those things as well. I don't know that he doesn't quite as well, but. Uh, yeah, he's going to get a, a little bit of that, but you know, I think he offers value in other areas that really nobody else on the roster does, uh, to, to his level, at least, um, right now. If we take Brandon Ayuk off the table, other players, I think that are in the potential breakout group are Trey Lance. He's the obvious one here. If he ends up starting, he could be a breakout star for the 49ers. And if that ends up happening, then just stamp this ticket right now to the Super Bowl. Uh, if Trey Lance is the breakout story, I think with yeah. what the Niners can do on offense, they're talking about a deep run. They're talking about maybe a division championship and, and maybe even competing for a conference if he is indeed the breakout star. Um, whether or not he'll be able to sustain that breakout, you know, hey, this is why we have next year's season preview. Uh, <laughs> but for right now, he's definitely the player that if the Niners could choose anyone to break out, it would be 100% Trey Lance. Two other ones on this list. One, Talanoa Hufanga. I just love saying his name and saying it correctly now that I have the pronunciation guy in front of me. But he, I think injuries along the secondary are not uncommon. You've got Jaquaski Tart, who's finally back. But his toe went from like falling off to being duct taped back on to playing in a game to now resuming his starting role. And if he gets injured again, not unlikely... I, the team has Tavon Wilson, sure, but if it happens late enough in the season, I think the team might want to play someone like Hufanga. And Hufanga has that, I like he's got that identifiable trait. He's got the long hair. He's got a comp that everyone uh, compares him to, which is Troy Palomalu. And he's going to make a couple of splash plays, whether it be a tackle or a blitz, that may generate buzz that may not be commensurate with his overall play. 
but he he ticks the boxes that kind of drive the narrative that give you a little bit of juice and give you a little bit of breakout. So he's someone that I would put on this list. Yeah, I think I, I think that makes sense. Um, you know, and, and I think yeah, it, it seems likely that he's going to have some opportunity to get on the field at, at some point for all the reasons you mentioned. I think uh, the the other name that that we've got on there that um, we haven't really heard a lot about, I feel like, is is Javon Kinlaw, right? I mean, uh, obviously, only a year removed from him being a, a first round pick and um, somebody that this team thought was going to replace DeForest Buckner right and be that type of impact player early on and and we certainly didn't see that uh from him in in year one and so I think yeah he has an opportunity to really kind of step up especially I mean he could just benefit so much not only from just having a year under his belt and you know coming into his second season and hopefully seeing uh, a little bit of a leap in his individual play but if these edge guys can stay healthy, right, if they can stay out on the field, that could just be such a huge help for him uh, in, in terms of, you know, just drawing less of, of the offensive line's attention, right? And, and if they're going to have to kind of set protections that are more going to be having to, to worry about what's happening on the edge uh, and, and can get him isolated a little bit more on, on some of those one-on-one matchups with the guard, like, that's going to be great. And, and so, well, it, it should be, it, it'll be a great opportunity, whether he takes advantage of those or not is, is obviously another thing and, and remains to be seen, but obviously the, the talent as a pass rusher is there. And, uh, yeah, I, I think he has an opportunity to make a big impact. And if suddenly he comes away with like, you know, approaches double digit sacks by the end of the year, like he's going to be somebody that, that obviously we're talking a lot about. If the Niners get like, even like, eight sacks from Javon Kinlaw. They would yep. be over the absolute moon. Yep. Absolute moon. And I, the remember I was talking about injuries at the beginning of the show. Well, <laughs> he had, he was apparently taken, not taken off people's boards, but he was knocked down a bit in the pre-draft eval because he had some knee issues coming out of college and his knee is sore and his knee was swollen. That's why he didn't play in the preseason. That's why he had uh, some injuries to work with their training camp. And in today's presser, Shanahan said that he expects him back and that he expects him to, like he was trending more towards playing, but they were going to see against the Detroit Lions. So he would be another one of those players that I think the Niners would love to have break out. And if he does, then, you know, I mean, all the more waves of people that Chris Kasurik has at his disposal to scream at uh, and get to the quarterback. All right, so let's get to the game that you think will be sneakily tough for the 49ers. When you look at their schedule, it's not overall too difficult, but what would be the trap game that you would see on their schedule that you think to yourself, like, eh, watch out for this one? And um, let's see here. Probably would help if I had the schedule up. All right, um, this is your version of chewing. Uh, so yep, I'll you, go ahead. You go. And, uh, I'll jump in here. My, my guess is week seven or week eight. Week seven against Indianapolis, week eight against Chicago. Week seven, because it's after the bye. And my working hypothesis at this point is that week six is the first time that the Niners may consider a change to Trey Lance. If the Niners go into, you know, maybe the the bye week, which is an early bye week, week six, let's say they go in two and three, right? They win two games against the, the, the you know, kind of Detroit Lions and, and the Eagles, and then they lose two games against Green Bay and Seattle, and they have another tough, hard-fought one-score game against Arizona, and they end up losing that game. The Niners could strongly consider going to Trey Lanes. And at that point, they're going a rookie quarterback with one, you know, over the bye week, going to a team that they probably should beat at home. That could be a sneakily tough game just because of everything that goes around it. Same thing happens in week eight against Chicago, especially if by that point you've got Justin Fields who may be playing and starting at quarterback against Chicago that game now all of a sudden becomes tougher than it does if you're playing their current starting quarterback. And so those are the two games I think that don't look like super tough opponents on paper, but because of the situation surrounding both those teams, they could be very, very interesting games that the Niners may not end up picking up. Yeah, I think, I think those are good choices. The only, I mean, honestly, I mean, which is a good thing. Like looking at the schedule, it it is harder to pick one because you wouldn't obviously call any of their division games, uh, you know, trap games. So once you kind of eliminate those, uh, there's not a lot of great um, 
teams that I mean you you would expect that that could have that jump. I mean, the only other one I think I might throw out there would be at Cincinnati. Like I could just see because mostly because of them offensively, right? If Burrow is is back and healthy and, and some of the, the skill position players that they have there, like I, I could see a scenario where that offense ends up being very good and, and that makes that game um you know more challenging than than it would look right now. But yeah, overall I, I think it's hard to to be like too worried about teams like even you know Jacksonville and obviously the the early games I don't think you can really even call trap games against you know teams like Detroit and Philadelphia um so yeah there's not a, a lot of great candidates there I think the ones that you that that spot that you uh picked out there kind of in the middle of the, the season makes most sense all right over under number of games that Trey Lance starts the line is set at eight are you t- I'm going to try to actually jot these down because every year we go back at the end of the year and we look back at the over-unders and we never remember what never the hell we said. I'm going to try to jot them down. I you better get them in there. I don't, I don't see the cursor blinking. Where is the cursor at? <laughs> uh, I'm going over. Did you say the number of games? Eight. Eight. Would it have uh, mattered? <laughs> it wouldn't have mattered, honestly, unless it was like 16. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm going over. I, I just don't think that Shanahan is going to be able to resist. Like, I, I think everything going on with the run game there, even if he has to take some more lumps as a passer, right, and, and kind of their passing game takes a little bit of a hit, the, the big play is that he's going to be able to add and the efficiency to the run game and all of the creative shit that they're going to be able to do with him in there, uh, I, I think is going to be too much for him to, to resist. I'm taking the over, even though I think the team starts Trey Lance a little later than other people think, because we're factoring in, uh, I'm going to go ahead and factor in playoff game starts as well. And that means that you've got more games, more opportunities. Wow. Spoiler alert for the uh, the the end here and the over under prediction, uh, predictions there. I'm just uh, I'm just saying that's a little bit of the teaser. You know how in Romeo and Juliet they tell you what happens at the beginning of the book, and then you know that it's going to be a tragic ending. You know this now we know it's just a bit of the teaser. You know, yeah, like, people just what they want. Your Shakespeare on it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right, over under Raheem Mostert's total rushing yards eight hundred. His highest total was seven hundred and seventy two in twenty nineteen, and so we added basically one extra game's worth to get to eight hundred yards. Yeah, I, it's tough with the extra game in there. I think I'll I'll just still go I'll, I'll go under here. I I think just injuries is gonna be. I just don't trust that. Yeah, he he's gonna stay healthy for the the full, and he's obviously gonna still have other. Play, they're they're gonna rotate in general, um, and I think Sermon's gonna have a a, a decent sized role there in the backfield. So yeah, I'm going under. I'm saying over because of the effect that Trey Lance will have on the rushing game as a whole. I think they will have an overall uptick in rushing yards. I think Raheem Mostert will stay healthy, but I do think that he'll get more explosive carries this go around. I just also think that it's going to be um, it's going to be really tough to stop this rushing attack. And I think that Raheem Mostert's going to break a couple of really big runs. The only reason I didn't put him in the breakout block as a breakout player because he already kind of had his breakout season in 2019. Yeah. Um, so people know about him. Um, and, and so otherwise I would have put him on there as having like a thousand yard season potentially, because that's where I think he may flirt with is, is a thousand yards. And he's probably going to have some ridiculous like per carry average and, and not get utilized a ton just because the Niners, I think are going to run rush on people. Um, all right. Over under percent of snaps that D Ford plays this season, the line is set at 15%. Are you over or under? Uh, you God. laugh, but this one's tough. Yeah, it's it's not great. It's sad that it's so tough. Um, I'll go over. I'm gonna go over. Um, no feeling saucy today, huh? No real reason other than just you know, fifteen percent's a pretty low number, and like fuck, dude's got to get on the field at some point, right? Yeah, I mean, 50, if you think that one full season for a defender, especially defender along the defensive line, is what maybe like six to eight hundred snaps. If they're being a bit conservative with his play, if you're DeForest Buckner, you're playing a thousand snaps. So if you think fifteen percent of that number, I mean, one hundred and fifty snaps, you know, like one hundred and twenty-five, one hundred snaps over the course of it, that's like, I don't know, that's that's two games for Nick Bosa, right? 
<laughs> I mean, right. Even though he's not going to to likely be like, you know, a full time player and have a high snap count per game, like if he played basically around three full games of their 17 games now, that would put him at it uh, basically just under 18 percent. Right. Only three games. Um, so it's like as a part time player, maybe you're pushing that to like five or six games out of the yeah. 17. It's like, man, it's not a lot to ask. Yeah, interesting. But yes, I'm going over as well. Uh, I I am optimistically going over. And I think especially early on, the the team will have him on a pitch count. I think D Ford actually explicitly said he's going to be on a pitch count. Yeah, I think he's going to come sense. in for like high value third downs or close games. And honestly, if he can get a pressure or two uh, out of his snaps and just you know be a change up. You're used to kind of having Samson Ebukam smash into you and not do much of anything else, and now you get D Ford screaming out around the edge. I mean, I think it could be interesting, and I think it could be very valuable, even in his limited limited snaps. Yeah, I uh, mean, and- even like if he like it, it sucks because he's getting you know paid what he's getting paid, and and they gave up everything they gave up to get him, and and all of that shit. Uh, that that you would do that for what is ultimately a part time player, but I think that's really for them the best use of him right is is put him out there in passing situations like he's not going to make your run defense better right you've got guy better guys that you can throw out there uh in your base situations that that are gonna be able to improve your run defense more than he can so yeah save him for the the kind of the key situations the heavy pass downs late in the game late in the half all that stuff and last one here is over under the number of times that Dante Johnson is released this season. The line is set at four. Are we already at two, right? <laughs> Are we already at two? I thought we were at one. If we're at two, then the, then the line will be reset at five. Oh, my God. Yeah, I think we're already at two. He got released. Um, and then That's right. He back. got released at the final cuts, and then he got added back, added and then back he got released again. again. For no- yeah. yeah. I think I'm pretty sure we're at two. Um Man, if you up it to five, I'm going to go under. I'm going to go under for that. Uh, I'm going to go over because what is dead may never die. And this guy... I think guy, he's just going to kind of stick around. Like, there, shit, you can't... Like, three more times? Or I guess if you're going to go over, does that mean it's got to be six? That's really four more times. Like, I, I have no way. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, this is someone who is... when 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 the Niners franchise sometime in the next hundred years folds the only thing left will be dante johnson like he he'll just be looking around like wait i'm not i'm not gonna go continue to get paid he's gonna be in the basement with the red stapler is what i'm saying just no one will have fixed the glitch and he will continue to have gained to, to have gotten paid over the course of the year it's just he man i i respect that hustle and and when you just yeah. there i i can't imagine that there are I don't know that maybe Josh Johnson's the only other person that like kind of fits that mold of just constantly getting added and, and dropped. But that is the definition of a replacement level player readily available can still contribute in spots, but always hovering around the bottom of that roster. So good for the barnacle, Mr. Dante Johnson. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say optimistic, even though I'm predicting the over, I still think he ends the season on the team just because of injuries and he plays a valuable enough position for the team and they need corners. So, David, where does the team finish? Right now, their current win total is set at 10 and a half. Um, again, 17 game season stats are weird. Um, saying 10 and 7 is weird. That, like, that just feels, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Yeah. I don't. Um, but they're tied for the highest total in the NFC West. Uh, the Rams, uh, or with the Rams, uh, Seattle's at 10. I think in... Um, Mike Sando had a uh, like a rank the teams in the NFC and AFC and the Niners, the Seahawks and the Rams were ranked, I think, third, fourth and like sixth or something like that, or like <laughs> second, third and fifth, all clustered near the top of the NFC. Yeah. Um, and, and PFF also loves their projection. Their project, their projected wins are about nine point three. Uh, they're projected under 10.5 wins, 75% of simulations, though, and over in 25%. Football Outsiders projects them at 9.8 wins and puts them second in the division behind Seattle. Uh, so where do you put their wins? 
What do you think happens? Do they make the playoffs? Do they not? Uh, and, and where does this season end for them? And it's just the, the injury stuff makes it so hard. Um, I, I think when you're trying to make this projection, you have to just kind of assume a reasonable level of health, right? You, you don't assume that everybody's going to stay healthy for the entire season, all the key players, but like, like let's make it not the worst in the NFL, like just kind of a middle of the pack level of health. And, and if they can do that, and uh especially at quarterback right and um be be healthy there which obviously they should be set up better for this year because i think the the bottom isn't falling out with either garoppolo or lance the way it did with mullins and bethard right it's just like it's a completely different level of play like it's going to, the offense is going to look different. The quarterback position is going to look different depending on whether Lance or Garoppolo is in there, but they should be able to succeed at a high level with either one, I think. And, and so that certainly helps their case. And so that is the only thing that makes me lean towards 11, but 11 wins is a lot, man. Even with that extra game in there, like not a lot of teams each year hit that mark, right? Or, or higher. So it, it is a high total for them to get to. I think definitely the, the odds are that they will be under, even if it's just under, right? Even if it's just 10 wins. Um, but but I think you you probably have to lean under um, given how high that line is. Yeah, I think that the I would have put them at 10 wins on the nose if this were a 16-game season. So I think if I add one more game and the you give them the half win. There yeah, you go. I, give them the, I give them the half win. I add one more game. <laughs> I think about the schedule and I give them the extra game at this point. I mean, week 17 against the Houston Texans at this point. It's going to be tough when they beat Jimmy Garoppolo to get that 11th win in week 17 when he is a starting quarterback for the Houston Texans. But, you know, it's going to be it's going to be rough. But Trey Lance is going to overcome is, is all I'm saying. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I give them the half game and I say they win 11. The this it, at this point, the Niners have got to. I think they're they're insulated enough against injury and their strategy along the defensive line versus the secondary, like that's not going to change. They're going to figure out how to make that work, whether it be signing players like Josh Norman, reclaiming players, you know, kind of putting their draft picks in there, whether it be Embry Thomas or Diamond or Lenoir, they're, they're going to have to figure that out in some way, whether it be through scheme or continuing to throw spaghetti at the wall. Um, because if, if that's ultimately their downfall, that means their offense wasn't able to keep pace. And if their offense wasn't able to keep pace, then something went really, really wrong. Like both quarterbacks got hurt or something like that. So right. I, I think that that's where, you know, predicting injuries are absolutely right isn't really the, the name of the game here. So if you assume a reasonable health, I think this is one of the five best teams in the NFC. And that doesn't mean that they necessarily get to 11 wins. I think there's a reason why that line was set at 10 and a half. Sure. Um, but... But I still, you know, I mean, you know me, right? I'm going to hope for the best and and then emotionally gird myself for the worst. Um, and, <laughs> and I'm going to say they get to 11 with that extra game. Look, I, I think they're in a good spot kind of regardless of where they fall there, right? Because I think, yeah, they, they showed last year that they can still be effective defensively even with some injuries, right? I mean, despite everything that, that happened to them defensively last year, they were still fifth in EPA per play last year. Like they, they were by pretty much any measure you want to, to look at a top 10 defense last year. Um, and, and so, you know, if you assume even kind of the worst on, on the defensive side of the ball, even if they fall back a little bit, right, they can still be a very good team overall, with an average defense, if the offense does what we we hope it does, right, which is is get back to playing at that high level, or and maybe even higher, right, with with Trey Lance out there, and so I, I think that um, they are in a good spot, right, obviously with the extra wild card and, and everything that does now too, and, and and so like they could finish third in the division and still make the playoffs, right, so that they're in a good spot, they're they're definitely. Um, you know, how they play within the division, I think, is going to be the biggest determining factor as to where they end up with their win total and, and finishing spot and, and all of that stuff. Um, if they can do really well within the division, like we've talked about, they, they have what looks to be a pretty favorable schedule outside of the division, and they should be able to do well there, I think. And so, yeah, I think it just comes down to 
Um, can they stay healthy offensively and, and keep those impact players that they need in there, especially at quarterback, right? You can't, if we go down to, to QB three here again, it's just like, there's nothing you can do about that. There, there's just no saving it. Not to get everyone's hopes up, not to go ahead and just say, you know what? Uh, this is going to be a, a fun season, but things are looking up for the 49ers in 2021 at yeah. this point. I think if, if the, the outlook is rosy, I think overall, this is going to be a good year. I think this is a playoff team. I think this is a talented team. And it's one that, you know, who knows how the season goes. Things could, you know, the, the wheels could fall off the bus. But right now, the way we're looking at this season, it's going to be good. It's going to be fun. And we'll be here with you every step of the hot damn way. And that, I think, does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. You can follow me on the Twitters at Better Rivals. David, talk about the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Better Rivals. Get in there now. Um, again, we're by the, t- the next time that you listen to us, we will be talking about um, the opening week of the NFL season, right? And that's going to kick off our more regular schedule, and we're going to be getting Patreon content up there weekly, um, stuff that we find interesting about the game, things that uh, we don't think necessarily translate all that well to the podcast format. Like, that's going to be the place to get those kind of extra deeper insights um so again patreon.com slash better rivals buy a spear subscribe like review eat chocolate tweet about it send us <laughs> memes send us questions do all the things let us hear your voice we'd love to hear from you um using the internet smoke signals whatever the hell you want you can find us trust me you're an adult i think i hope anyway thanks for tuning in hope this is a fun season and as always Go Niners.